you have your Bibles, we, we are in the book of Galatians. We introduced a new series of talk that are gonna run for eight weeks, right? And every time we do a series is layers upon layers, meaning that there is one more piece of the puzzle that we're adding today. This is, this is week two, but it's eight weeks, right? And so you, you have to commit to the eight weeks if you're gonna see the fullness of this, this series. And I told you last week, there's three things that all of us uh, need to do if we wanna get the most out of the series. Three things that we all need to do is, number one is commit to every Sunday, that's eight weeks, right? Because there's nothing more frustrating than doing a puzzle and missing some pieces. You ever been there? You made you do a puzzle, you're like, ah, three pieces away, I can't find it. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about? Like, every, every puzzle in the house is missing something. It's like you knuckleheads, you can't ever put anything together. Uh, anyways, I'm just talking to my kids. Um, it's, it's eight weeks, this is week two, so we're gonna go for eight weeks. And then, the second thing is, I would love to see all of us join a crew, which is our small groups. Yes, yeah, someone is excited about crews. Here's why crews are powerful, because you get a chance to to get together with some people and, and, and go deeper in conversation and questions and praying together and believing God together. Because it's impossible to cover every single thing in the Bible. Like you have to want to go deeper. And so join the crew. Uh, I, was, um, I was in Florida this week on a church conference. So um, on Wednesday night, I pulled out my phone like big brother and I checked in on the church. Y'all didn't know we have cameras in here. Do and it was cool to see, it was packed with people in crews, and so I thank God for all of you who joined a crew. There's still a chance for you to join a crew, so this is your last chance though for the season. It's eight weeks, and this is your last chance. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you have a crew? Ask your neighbor real quick, like, just ask them. Like. If they say no, tell them, oh, let's do this. Like, you can join my crew. You can ask the right neighbor, do, do you have a crew? <laughs> the Lord's telling me to tell you. Enjoy my crew. <laughs> and then get a study guide. A study guide will help you deepen your understanding of the Bible. We have some available at the Resource Center. If we not, you can certainly buy one on Amazon. Uh, shout out to Amazon. Um, this message is brought to you by Amazon. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> let's get to the Bible before I get in trouble. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to do part 2 of chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. And a quick recap this book, as we talked about last week, is written by the Apostle Paul, who was the missionary that Jesus chose to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Everyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And Paul is writing because Paul would plant these churches, and then he would, he would move on to the next region, and then he would write to check back on them and also to help them on their journey with Jesus. But Paul is frustrated because this particular group of churches in this region had been infiltrated by these people called the Judaizers who were bringing a different gospel that Paul had preached to them. They were bringing a gospel that says that you need to, to be circumcised, which we talked about last week, how painful that would be if you're a grown man in the first century, but also that you need to embrace all the other Jewish rules. In other words, you're basically forsaking the grace of God for something less than. So Paul is frustrated because he's like, man, how are you embracing something less than what Jesus taught me to teach you? And so there's an anger here. There's a sadness. He's also like surprised. It's like, man, how, how in the world, guys, would you go backwards? And can I tell you something personally? I, in a small way, I understand Paul's frustration because we moved here eight years ago, and our heart's desire was to plant the church where unchurched people would like to go to so they can learn the grace of God. And it's been an amazing journey, but along the way, the journey, once in a while, you, there's like these other voices that come in, the voices of religion that tries to, to, to try to add to the gospel or tell people that this is not the right gospel and, and confuse people. And, and, and it's just frustrating as a pastor because you know the real thing. You know the gospel. You know what he can do for you. But then there's these religious voices once in a while that comes and, and, and distorts what the gospel actually is. And as a pastor, I wish sometimes that I can shield some people from some people. <laughs> like, I, like I wish that I could say, don't hang out with those religious people over there. They're, they're just gonna distort the gospel and make you believe something that is less than God's will for you. Don't go to that YouTube channel, man. You're gonna get the wrong understanding of what the gospel. 
obviously everybody has free will, so it's frustrating. Paul's like, man, we gave you the truth. Why are you falling for something for Gazi? Hello, somebody. So the second part of chapter one, what he does is he says, man, I got to like bring you back to the reality that Jesus is the one that sent me to you. And I want to share my story with you because this is my testimony from death to life. This is Paul now saying, listen, I got to cement this for you. Hopefully this can help you get out of this confusion that you're in to see the real gospel. So this is what we're going to read today. Galatians chapter one, verse 11, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to highlight that direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Verse 13. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently persecuted, I violently persecuted God's church. Paul hated the church. I did my best to destroy it. It was far, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. In other words, like my, I was embedded in that tradition. I believed in it. Verse 15, but even before I was born, here's another thing you want to highlight. God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then he pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia And later, I returned to the city of Damascus, verse 18. Three, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, And still the churches in Christ that are Judea didn't know me personally. Verse 23. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Can you say amen? Amen. So my friends, Paul is in this place where he feels like, man, I got to retell the story because you have bought into a less than version of the gospel. Some people have confused you that I need to retrace my steps. In other words, Paul is like, I got to go back to go forward with you. I got to bring you back to where I came from and why I brought you the good news. Hopefully, you can get out of this confusion that you're in. Are you tracking so far? So my friends, if you're taking notes, he's reestablishing his position as an apostle, someone sent by Jesus himself, that the gospel that he's preaching came straight from Jesus. It was not his idea. It's not our idea to come up with the gospel. Think about it. You cannot come up with a story. Not even Hollywood can come up with this story, that God will become a human being live on earth for maybe 33 years, die for the sins of the world, and then three days later, he comes back from the dead, and he says to his disciples, now go and bring this good news to everyone. Like, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Not even Hollywood can come up with this. And then to take someone who hated it because he thought, man, these people are crazy, they're part of a cult, we need to get rid of this thing, and now he's the one preaching this very gospel. Like, he makes no sense in the natural that, that this is the same guy who is bringing out this good news of Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, please understand this. But Paul was trying to establish his, listen, I didn't earn this gospel. I don't deserve this gospel. No one does. Jesus decided to reveal himself to me. The word revelation is powerful. Please write this down. The word revelation means that you don't arrive at the gospel. It has to be revealed to you. So in other words, there's not, a, there's not anything that you can do to earn this thing. There's not any amount of religious things that you can do to make God accept you for who you are. 
Like, this is what Paul is trying to establish here. He's trying to tell them, listen, guys, this is only comes to you by revelation from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Like I told you last week, grace has to invade your life. You don't go to grace. Grace comes to you. Right, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. God loves you because he's love. And God loves you too much to leave you the same way that you are. So this grace comes now to invade you, to transform you from the inside out. Like, you cannot change someone who wants to kill Christians to make them become a Christian. Only the grace of God can do that. Right? There's not an amount of religious things you can do to make God do that. Matter of fact, Paul was trying to make the point, like, listen, when it comes to religion, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Paul was like, there's no one who has a greater religious pedigree than me. I have a resume. I can prove to you that this thing doesn't work. Why? Because been there, done that. Like, I'm not talking to you as someone who is new to this. He's saying, man, I'm talking to you as someone who was deeply embedded in the ways of the Jewish tradition. Like, I did everything that you can possibly imagine. Paul was part of the Pharisee sect, which was the highest religious tradition of that time. Like, Paul was like, man, I have the pedigree. I have the resume. I have the background. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Check out Paul's resume, right? In another letter he writes to the church in Philippi, he says this in Philippians 3. He says, let me, let me break it down for you why this thing doesn't work. Beginning with verse 3, right? He says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Remember, he's saying it's not the physical circumcision. It's the circumcision of the heart. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though, watch this, I could have confidence in my own effort. If anyone could, indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul was like, yo, I've done more than all of y'all. If it was about our own efforts, I got this. And he tells you his resume. Watch this. He goes, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. The word Pharisees means set apart like we were distinct. We were people look up to us who demanded the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous, watch this, that I harshly persecuted the church. He's like, man, these people are a cult. Side note, you haven't lived until someone told you you're in a cult. <laughs> I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Watch this, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, watch this, he goes on to say, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Right. Now, here's the interesting thing. The word garbage there is polite. The real Greek says something else. Something along the lines of going number two. How's that for eight o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning message? Paul was like, I can see that all of my resume going number two compared to knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. So Paul was like, why in the world would you go backwards into a system of religion who doesn't produce life? Why would you allow these people to confuse your mind and heart? Because you cannot do anything to make God accept you. I've been baptized, catechized, dunktized, I was an altar boy. Yeah, it's like going number two. Congrats. <laughs> Compare to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, please write this down. The gospel calls you out of religion into a relationship. 
That's what Paul is saying. Man, Jesus came to give you a relationship. Why are you selling for religion, routine, and tradition? Do's and don'ts. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. And no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is for religious people and it's also for irreligious people. Because both need the grace of God. My friends, he hated Christianity. I think sometimes we read the Bible, we, we gloss over that, but like he hated it with a passion. He wanted to destroy it. He thought that Christianity was a cult that needed to be stopped. I'm not joking when I tell you, like, you ever lived until someone calls you a cult? Because what we do in our day and age is, whenever we don't understand something, we want to label it. Because it doesn't fit the mold. Paul was so filled with religious pride, it is like, that can't be God. Think about it, he was fighting against the very God that he thought he was serving. Wow. Because of religion that blinded him to the revelation of who God actually is. Paul was responsible, he had blood in his hands. In the book of Acts, it tells you the story, the church history and how we got here. Watch this, in Acts 8, it tells you this about Paul. It says, Saul, which by the way, Saul and Paul is the same person. Back in those days, they had two names. Saul was his Hebrew name, Paul was his Roman name. Once Jesus revealed himself to him, he decided to go by Paul because he could be, relate, he could be more relatable to the rest of the world. What's this? Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. If you read Acts 7, this young man, Stephen, was testifying about Jesus, and the religious people stoned him to death, and Paul was there giving his blessing. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping all over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And can I add one more thing, my friends? This is happening right now. Do you know that the Taliban is killing Christians and no one talks about it? There's concentration camps in China for believers. Thankfully, we are still in a region where we have some freedom to express ourselves, but these things are still going on in parts of the world where religious people oppress believers. Paul was one of them, responsible, he says, for many, arresting them and killing them in a process until Jesus reveals himself to Paul. If you keep reading Acts, in Acts chapter nine, the revelation comes, and it comes this way. Now, I wanna say this before we read his revelation. I want, you to, I want you to understand this. The way that God brings his revelation to us is very unique. What's universal, it's his grace. So in other words, Paul has this special revelation from God because God felt that this is the way I need to get to him, but the way that God wants to get to you might be very different from the way Paul, get, Paul gets to Paul, but, but the common denominator is he wants to premiere you with his grace. Watch this, for Paul, it looked like this. In Acts chapter nine, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. In other words, he was angry, like, I'm gonna get all of these believers. Was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. They used to call Christianity the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Keep going. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now I love that Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, not my followers? The good news there, my friends, is that whatever's going on in your life, God is identifying with you, and he's saying, I'm with you, and I'm for you. <laughs> Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. That was the turning point in Paul's life in history, and that was a turning point for the church. That's his testimony from death to life. Today you heard a testimony from a young man who got baptized last week, and, and what I love about it, once again, is that, is that how unique God comes to us. 
For that young man, he was, his chain was suicide. He thought he was going to kill himself. And, and God comes through a friend who, who ministers the gospel to him, right? That was the first point, right? And then a little friend says, here, take my Bible. Why? Because I'm going to give you the gospel, and then the word is going to c- confirm the gospel to you. And then I see my brother come to church and get baptized. You need the gospel, you need the word, you need community to, for you to have the grace of God. And we see this in Paul's journey as well. And it's beautiful because if you pay attention, the Holy Spirit is doing the same exact things in all of our lives. When you are in the flow of his revelation. Why do you persecute me? I love that line that Jesus identified himself with his people. Think about that next time you're going through a trial. Jesus is saying, I'm in that with you. Because I'm for you. Can you say amen? So I want to say this again, the gospel is not his idea. He didn't come up with this. We didn't come up with this. The grace of God invaded him. And what, is he, what, what happens when the grace of God invades you? First of all, it works in you. The first order of business here, God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to work in this man named Saul to the point that it's like, I no longer want to be identified as Saul, I want to be Paul. There's a transformation of identity that takes place when the grace of God invades your soul. You're not the same person anymore. There's a before and after that happens when the grace of God permeates. And then what does he do? Then this Jesus sends him out to work through him. And if you're taking notes, this is important, my friends, on this journey, one of the major signs that the gospel of Jesus has permeated you is that now you don't view it as a private religious thing, it becomes a personal public lifestyle for all to see that the grace of God has changed my life. So if you're wondering, am I in grace or am I in religion, how private and how personal are you? Because some people say, you know, religion is a private thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's religion. That's not grace. Grace goes public so others can see and glorify God in heaven. It comes with a responsibility and a desire to share it with others. In other words, Jesus is not just saying, hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It'd be nice if you stop it. No, no, no. Why are you persecuting me? Here's what I'm going to do, Paul. I'm going to transform you so now the one who was persecuting becomes part of the persecution. So others can see, here's what God does when the grace permeates the soul. See, here's where sometimes I think we miss it. Sometimes we've been in church for so long, we become churchified. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to talk about it. Here's why I'm going to talk about it. Because you have to understand this, my friends. All of Paul's past becomes a catalyst for how God wants to use him. What do I mean by churchified? I think after a while, we lose the taste and the power of the grace of God, and we begin to talk like church five people, and we forget that our past was meant to be a catalyst for our future and for our present, for others to understand how grace actually works. All right, why do we share testimonies like the young man? Because there are other young men who need to hear how the grace of God will permeate your life. The last thing we need is for church five people to just get up and go, glory to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I am always, you know, holy and righteous. But God changed you from what to what? It's not good news if there wasn't bad news first. And we need more Christians that can be honest and genuine and say, look where I was in my brokenness, in my mess. I was, I was a person who hated Christians and who I am now being a voice for Christianity. By the grace of God, I am who I am now. And here's the thing, right? You have to study church history and understand how powerful this is, is that this happens in Acts 9, which is about... Eight or ten years later from Acts 1. Why is that important? Because in Acts 1, Jesus said, hey, you're going to go to the ends of the earth and bring this good news. But by Acts 8, they haven't gone anywhere. They're stuck in Jerusalem until persecution comes and spreads them out. 
And it's almost like God says in heaven, hey, it's time to change the game plan. This thing's not going anywhere. We need to get that dude over there who is crazy, transform him and sanctify him and set him apart. He will take this thing further. That's a game changer, my friends, because the original apostles can only take it so far. God's like, we need some knuckleheads who have been there, done that. They can actually go into the world and permeate the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today, God didn't save you just for you to have a private religion. He saved you so that others can come to know the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Stop being churchified and start testifying about the goodness of the Lord and how far you've come if you it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be in the house of God today. My God. We need some people who can help other people see that there's hope. Because I've been there. Think about it. If you were a drug dealer out in the streets of New Bedford, killing people with the way you're living your life, and the grace of God invades your life, the worst thing you can do is keep that to yourself. You need to go out there and tell other drug dealers, I found the real hope dealer that can bring hope into your life, and hope into your soul, and hope into your spirit. And better yet, if you are a drug dealer, that means you have some gifts and some talents that God wants to redeem so that you become now an entrepreneur for the gospel and for the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're supposed to be a businessman. As Jay-Z would say, I'm not a business, I'm a businessman. That's a great line. Because we get to church and we become churchified. And instead of using the past, to explode the future, we hoard it. How are others supposed to know that hope is there? Paul, his past was the catalyst for him to become the greatest missionary that ever lived. Don't you understand that Jesus is so strategic? He's like, I got fishermen, I got text collectors, I need a scholar. You ever read Paul's letters? That's a scholar, my friends. As someone who understood, hey, I'm going to take my past, knowing the Mosaic law, knowing the Old Testament, and I'm going to mesh it with the grace of God and show you how you can find Jesus all the way back in the Old Testament. He didn't waste his past. He redeemed it and used it for a greater purpose. Like when I, I, got, I got dudes that I mentor, and I try to be as honest as possible because they need to learn from the good, the bad, and the ugly. This, this trip that I took to Florida wasn't just for me. I took them with me so that I can expand their vision to see more and to understand more. Because every year I try to find a church that I believe are doing things way better than we are so we can learn from them and instill from them. Because if you have eyes, you plagiarize so you can get better at what you're doing in life. So we talk about marriage and we talk about kids and we talk about church. We talk about everything. Why? Because all of our lives is supposed to be a testimony. So we talk about how to be a, a better father, a better husband. Because what would be the point of me going through all my stuff if no one else is going to benefit from it? So listen, our failures and sin become the catalyst of God's grace. Don't you get it? This young man that you heard today, if he takes this seriously, he's now a vessel of grace for others to see the goodness of God in him. Grace calls you out so God can get the glory. So God can, people can say, wow, that, you're the same dude? <laughs> I just thought about my high school coach who one time I couldn't make practice on Sunday. I was like, I'm going to church. He goes, you little devil, you going to church? <laughs> yeah, the grace of God hadn't permeated my soul yet. I went to church, but I didn't have church in me. Hello, somebody. There's a difference. When church gets in you, you bring it with you wherever you go. A couple of more things about Paul's testimony that we need, to, we need to learn from is that he tells you that after that experience, he goes into this place called Arabia. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's a different Arabia in the region where he was. It was still a desert, though. But there's a purpose here. There's a, there's a point that Paul is making he received this experience from Jesus. He goes to the desert to add to that experience 
through silence, solitude, and study. See, that's important, my friends, because I feel like this is where sometimes there's a gap. We get the experience, but we didn't, we didn't add to the experience. If you don't add to the experience, you will go backwards. In other words, you can get baptized, you're excited about Jesus, it was a powerful spiritual experience, it's real, but it needs to be added to. How do you add to it? By adding spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and being in the word of God. So that your experiences now have foundation. Because feelings come and go, but the word of God remains the same. So Paul spends time studying, and that's how he becomes so articulate in his, in his approach, and he's different from Peter, he's different from James, he's different from John. Why? Because his background is different, and God loves to use you, not a version of you. Paul becomes one of the greatest scholars. If you read, for example, the book of Romans, it's like a PhD book. Because Paul studies the Old Testament and shows you, okay, this is how it actually operates in the new. If you only had one book of the Bible, Romans, you would get the entire Bible. Because Paul explains all of it, but that takes time, my friends. That doesn't happen overnight, that happens over time. Of, of committing to studying and, and, and solitude and hearing the voice of God for yourself. I, I, need, I need you to hear me. The gospel is not just an emotional experience, the gospel is also an intellectual experience. In other words, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, my concern for the church right now is that we're becoming a little bit Bible illiterate. We're looking for goosebumps instead of looking for the word. Goosebumps are going to come and go, but the word will always remain the same if you ground and root yourself in it. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, feelings to me, C.S. Lewis says, feelings to me is like wave. If the wave is there, I'll ride it. If not, I'm good. I still have the ocean. Yeah. Oh, y'all didn't get that. That's so good. <laughs> In other words, I don't have to wait for a wave. I have the ocean. I have the presence of God. If I'm constantly in the word. My friends, we need time of solitude, quiet study and reflection once the grace of God invades you. I can personally testify when the grace of God invaded me at the age of 20, it came with a hunger and thirst for more that I begin to spend every day learning this because my conviction was, if what I just experienced is real, then I need to know everything I can about it. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, you've been, you bought a house, you go sign, and it's like, you're signing your life away. Like it's three hours of like, mindlessly signing. But the problem is, one day you might need to know what you signed. And I think sometimes in church, that's what happens. People are like, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but it's like, did you read though the blue, the fine print? Because you said things like, deny yourself, count the cost, follow me, if any man wants to come after me. Like, I didn't know. Well, it's in, the, it's in there. It's in there, it's in the blueprint. This is what I'm saying, like, coming to church is one thing, becoming the church is something else. How do I know? Because you said it. It's in here. We need to know the word so that I experience have something attached to it. So we're not just waving from feelings to feelings. I guarantee you today someone didn't come to church because they didn't feel like it. And that is a problem when your feelings are dictating what you do or don't do as opposed to the word. I don't always feel like preaching, my friends. Do this twice a day, twice a Sunday. I don't always feeling. It's obedience, and obedience leads to better feelings. Hello, somebody. Last part of Paul's testimony that's powerful, and it relates to all of us, is that, yes, he does this time of solitude, but then he immerses himself in community. This is so important. Please hear me on this. If all you do is solitude without community, you become weird. Don't believe me? Go to YouTube. YouTube is filled with single dudes, weird, in their basement, looking like Osama bin Laden, telling you everything that's wrong with the church, but they're not in community with the church. 
Thank you. Always helping me preach. I appreciate it. See, that's community right there. I say something resonates, and she says, mm, preach that. <laughs> appreciate it. But it's both, right? Because, because it, this thing was never meant to be lived alone. So he says, I had to go to Jerusalem and meet up with the other dudes so we can co-sign this thing that Jesus revealed to me. Because you don't know what you really believe unless you are in community where other people can co-sign it or reject it or correct it. Here's something that's gonna mess us up because we're Americans. Do you know that when you read the Bible, 90% of the word you, Y-O-U is plural, not singular? But because we're Americans, we think, oh, it's about me, myself, and I. When God says, I know the plans I have for you. Me, no, you. If you're not in community, you're missing the you. Plans to prosper you. Oh my God, thank you, Jesus. He's like, no, you, knucklehead, all of you. And if you're not in community, you're missing the you. See, we, we, we inherited a, a library of books that was written from an Eastern mindset where it's all about community and we live in a Western mindset where it's all about me, myself, and I. So part of our struggle with the worldview is that it clashes because he's saying you, plural, and we keep talking about you, me. You need community. That's why we're saying you need crews. Why? Because it's in crews that you can actually be able to ask questions and maybe there's something in your theology that is off because all you're seeing is from you perspective, not from you perspective. That's a word. He goes to Jerusalem and he checks with the guys. Hey, let's talk about this. And please go home and, 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 and check out this chapter because it's so powerful. You gotta take ownership and wanna study for yourself. Acts chapter 15. Paul goes to Jerusalem for the first time and he meets up with Peter, James, and the other apostles. And, and what are they talking about? They're talking about this struggle of the gospel. Because they're like, we, we know that the gospel has gone on to the Gentiles, but they, we heard that some people came in and began to teach something different. And Paul's like, yeah, we got a problem. How do we fix this? How do we let people know that the gospel stands on its own? It doesn't need all of these other traditions and circumcision. And so they, they meet up to pray and to figure out what to do with this situation. It's the first meeting of the church called Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 where all these, all these apostles got together and says, we need to figure this out. We need to figure this out. And what do they come up with? Go look it up. Uh, I'm just going to give you the conclusion they came to, which is really powerful. That for the first time, they're like, hey, we, I think we feel good about this. We can send this message out to the rest of the Gentiles. And here's what they said. They wrote this letter and said, bring this, Paul. Bring this everywhere you go. That we in Jerusalem is co-signing your ministry. Watch this. They say this. For I love the wording, by the way. After they prayed and fasted, they said this, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Can we stop there for a second? I love the humility in that sentence. These are the apostles. This is the guys who walk with Jesus. Peter, James, John, Paul. They get together, they pray and fast, and they come up with, you know what, it seems good idea to us and the Holy Spirit. Here's why I love that. Because the weirdos, the loners go, God told me. Like some people, God tells them every five minutes as if God's schizophrenic, he forgets. I, it's, one of my, it's one of my pet peeves in the church. God told me means it's a trump card, you can't question me. But here are the apostles, humble. The guys who walk with Jesus, saw him, flesh and blood, touched him and says, well, it seems like a good idea. There's humility in that posture. There's a lot of pride and insecurity in God told me. Oh, y'all, you're gonna talk to me today. They said, it seems like a good idea, the Holy Spirit to us, watch this, to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. Like, we prayed about this, man. The grace of God is real, it's powerful, it's definitely working in people's lives. Who are we to stand in the way? This is what I get frustrated with religious people come and wanna add to the grace of God. Oh, that church, that's, they're not preaching the gospel. That, that church is, is shallow. That church is this touch. It's like, who are you? Who are you in your little basement? <laughs> Go get some air. Get around some people. 
Watch this. And look what they say. They simplify. Can we simplify this? These are the apostles. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols. They're like, Jesus is your Lord now. You don't need to sacrifice to any other idols. From consuming blood or the meat, strangled animals. In other words, don't participate in any of that weird idol stuff. Then he says, look, and abstain from sexual immorality. In other words, God sets you apart. Even your sexuality has purpose and meaning. So, so do these two things. Watch this. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> How awesome is that? How, these are the apostles, the original people who walk with Jesus and say, man, listen, it's about the grace of God and stay away from a couple of these weird things and you're good. Right, fast forward 21 centuries later, we go, uh, by the way, uh, make sure you join the right denomination. Make sure you read the King James Version. Uh, m- make sure you wear skirts. Make sure you never shave your head. <laughs> make, sure, like, make sure you don't have holes in your jeans. Like, we start adding. My friends, we gotta go back to the original gospel about freedom and joy. Make sure you only listen to this guy on YouTube. <laughs> like, we keep adding to the gospel. No wonder we're jacked up. No wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we're mad because the joy of the Lord has left us. When you start adding to the gospel, you're taken away from the freedom that God gave you. By the way, we're only in chapter one. This freedom is going somewhere. Paul's like, if you're truly free in the gospel, you don't, you're not free to do whatever you want to do. You're free to do what you need to do. <laughs> That's a word. The gospel is not meant to be lived in solitude, but in community. So much so, right from the beginning, we got a God who lives in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father says, I'm gonna work through the Son. The Son's like, I don't do anything without the Father. And then he's like, but the Spirit's gonna come. And the Spirit's like, I don't do anything without y'all telling me what to do. (laughs) If God himself lives in community, how much more do I need to be in community? with other people that can actually check to see if I'm in the faith. Because I don't know about y'all, but like, can we be having honest moments in the church? Your mind can play tricks on you. And give your mind enough room by itself, your mind will come up with some stuff. Come on, did any of y'all during COVID about to lose your mind? You start believing things you never believed before? Because you're in your basement for many, many hours? Create your own religion. <laughs> your mind can play tricks on you. You need community. So much so, right after that, what, what do we see? He says, it's not good for humanity to be alone. We need to make them a suitable helper. You know that Adam means humanity? He says, we need to give her, you know Eve means life? Humanity needs life. And where does humanity need life? In community. We don't know how long Adam was there. The historians say, they calculate that he was there for many years by himself in that garden, which by the way, this is not your Portuguese garden. This was a country. <laughs> so a lot of times like, we read the, the Garden of Eden like it's your little grandmother's Portuguese garden in the backyard. No, they had a whole country. <laughs> I don't know how long it was, we don't know, but it seems like God was like, this is getting weird. He's talking to animals about that time. We need to. We need to put some people around him. <laughs> and since then, go read your Bible. All of you, 90% of you is plural. Do it together. Walk together in this thing. What's the first thing that Jesus does when he starts his ministry? He starts a crew. He's like, hey, you, Matthew, come follow me. You, Peter, come. You, John, Judas, we can see what could happen. Let's go. But he did. Started a crew. For three and a half years they were together. So you need a crew, that's what we're saying. Like this is not like an add-on. This is the gospel. Still be lived in community. We need each other. More than we, li- we like to admit, can you say amen? I wanna give a shout out to a special crew here in the church that I think is so important. They do such a great job. It's the freedom crew. We have, yeah. a, we have a freedom crew. So powerful about the Freedom Crew is that there's power in community. That you can have addictions and hang ups 
that you can be delivered from. Because yes. there's nothing like struggling with addiction by yourself. So if you're struggling with addiction, join the Freedom Crew. No, it's a judgment-free zone. We just want to see you delivered and set free in Jesus' name. I got to end here. I, I told the, the team this week, I like, listen, I just got to land the plane. So I'm going to land it right here. Worship team, you can come up. I'm trying to be more disciplined with the timing. You can stand with me. It's going to be a weird landing, but we're just going to land right here. I'm working on my discipline, y'all. Keep me accountable next week. Look back and look at the clock. You're like, you in the red, pastor. <laughs> you do that, I'll rebuke you. Uh, <laughs> but my friends, I pray you catch the heart. Paul, what Paul is saying is, listen, this is not a religious thing. It's more than that. It's a lifestyle. Jesus permeates you with the grace. And when he does, he wants to use all of your past junk so that others can see the grace. By the way, what I love about seeing younger people get baptized is that they're saving themselves for so much headache. Because the earlier the grace of God permeates your life, the less you have to undo. And I say that because if you're young, I want you to understand something. Maturity is learning from other people's experiences. Not everything needs to be learned by experience. I can learn by, I saw you, man. You look like it hurt. I'm good. And I mean that, my friends, because the older I get, the more I want our children in our church to say, by the grace of God, I didn't have to get into all this other stuff. Every time we dedicate babies, there's the same prayer we pray. I don't know if you noticed. We say, always pray, God, I pray they never have to taste the things of this world to realize how good you are already. I pray that over all your children, that the grace of God can permeate their souls early so they can have less and less to undo. I don't know about you, I got saved at 20, I wish I would save at eight. I would have saved myself so much headache. So when I say that, understand that Paul is sharing his testimony not to glorify his past, but to glorify Jesus. Because sometimes you people share testimony, you're like, you're liking your past way too much here. Yeah, you should see me, y'all. When I was in the <laughs> when I was in the world, it's like I think you're still there. Because <laughs> if it was real, you'd be like, man, I am so embarrassed of what happened, but by the grace of God, I am where I am today. And then you got the other ones who like to embellish. Yo, I got shot like two, four, five, six times. It's like, what are you, 50? Like, what? <laughs> Just tell what God did for you. He'll do the rest. He wants the real version of you, not some made up version of yourself. But then he says, now deepen that. Deepen that with, with, with study. Deepen that with being in the word. Deepen that with community. Don't be a lone ranger. Don't be a weirdo Christian. In this church, you have permission to call out the weirdos. <laughs> Bro, that's weird. <laughs> Just call it out, you know? Like, <laughs> when COVID hit, everybody became an expert in the book of Revelation. And they all got it wrong. It's like, bro, that's weird. Jesus never talked about Trump in the Bible, bro, that's weird. Matter of fact, America's not even in the Bible. That's weird. Knock it off. You, Osama Bin Laden, in your basement, get out of that basement and join the community. He's talking to you. Don't be weird. This thing is already weird enough. Don't add to it. <laughs> we worship a God who became human and died for our sins. That's already weird enough. Don't add to it. Just leave it alone. Let me land the plane. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Listen. The grace of God is so beautiful, so powerful, it's so unique. It comes to us in unique ways. I believe God wants to take you from grace to grace. You don't graduate from grace, you grow in grace. Maybe you're here today, you've never trusted in Jesus as the Lord of your life. And I believe right now you can open your heart to him. 
by faith. You can receive that revelation that God loves you and is for you. He's sending his son Jesus to rescue you. And some of you, it's the next step. It's, I've been rescued to be a rescuer. To tell your story, to be honest, to, to take other people under your wings and to teach them the ways of the Lord. One of the first verses I memorized is Paul talking to Timothy as his mentor. He said, he said study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, but that rightly divides the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. So I took that to heart. I said, God, I'm going to study. I'm going to be in the word every day. And for 23 years, there's never a day that I don't read my Bible. Because I want to be rooted in the word, not just in my feelings. And then the last part is community. I wouldn't be here without community. When people say, I don't need to go to church to follow Jesus, that's not accurate. Jesus said, why you persecute me, the church? Not long ago, I met with a woman who said, Pastor, you know, I don't need to go to church to follow Jesus. And she called me without me having my coffee. So I said, you know what, you're right. I don't need to go home to be a father neither. I don't need to go home to be a husband, but I like my family. It's nice to spend time with my family and be with my family. And that's what church is. So give me my coffee before I start preaching hellfire and brimstone up in this place. <laughs> no, we need each other, my friends. We can't do it alone. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you, only you can confirm your word in our hearts and our minds. Behind every heart here, there's a need for your grace. God, I pray you customize it and meet us exactly where we are, but don't leave us there. Mold us and shape us until we become more and more like you. Holy Spirit, fall on this place in a fresh way. Invade us with your amazing grace. We love you and we need you. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.